In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 314, I think. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I think that's uh, right. <laughs> we are talking uh, Superhuman Trafficking Part 1 and Part 2 of Green Lanterns. This is going to be issues 40 and 41. Uh, first of all, i got to ask. Because I haven't asked you yet. I can't believe I didn't. Have you listened to our last episode all the way through? Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said that now, only because while I was consciously aware, I wanted to mention that previously. I, I did doze off like about half an hour ago, so I'm barely awake now. So it was. It had slipped my mind. It may have popped into my head during the course of recording. But yes, you you you're done good, Chad. That was a, that was that was a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was, I was just editing shit together, and I was like. Hmm. Oh, that, that would be cool. I could do that. <laughs> I just edited a bunch of shit together. <laughs> I thought it was good. <laughs> you have a particular, than a particular set of skills, Chad. <laughs> better than me actually singing to you. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, just in general. I, 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 really draw, I don't really like that. My mom has this awful, awful habit of doing that, despite the fact everybody constantly tells her not to do it, not just because she can't sing. But just because of the fact that people don't really like that, we so, <laughs> yeah, we always say everybody always tells her please don't do this, but she has this obsessive compulsive streak in her that just prevents her from from not doing it uh, more times than not. So I got gotcha. you. Well, there you got it. Now your birthday's over, so enjoy. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So you're taking uh, forty, and I'm taking forty uh, one. I guess. All right, let's kill this pig. Yeah. <laughs> this this would have been a this would have been a real good a real good two issues to uh like potentially uh break in that <laughs> that new that possible new model of bringing in guest reviewers. <laughs> in fact, it would have been so good we could have just we could have just picked two random listeners out of a hat, let them each review one episode, then we just come back and go, yeah, that was a good job, guys, and just move on and not even talk about this stuff. <laughs> but, alas, that's not, we didn't have time to pull that together, so we're going to have to do the best we can, and we are going to probably stick to our model of trying to make these reviews lickety-split. <laughs> All right, uh, Superhuman Trafficking Part 1. It, it, it begins innocently enough. <laughs> Except for the city that's being flooded by the by the uh, tropical storm, 
Jessica and Simon pretty much are helping out this whatever whatever city in general is being attacked by uh are being victimized by this tropical storm based on everything that happened you know between uh Harvey and everything else that happened in, in the fall we probably can it was pretty topical so it makes sense they would do this. So yeah, Jessica and Simon use their magic, their quote-unquote magic constructs to help prevent more damage, and they rescue people. And then other heroes like Firestorm that should have made you happy, Chad. They um, did. Yeah, and, and Blue Beetle, which I don't know if that makes anybody really happy, but it yeah. does. Uh, Jaime Reyes is pretty popular now. I like the rescue of the cat. That made me happy. Uh, but pretty much once once they do. The, once the heroes do their magic again and clear and prevent any further damage or as much damage as they could prevent, uh, at this point we have a little conversation between Simon and another obscure C-tier superhero called Bulleteer, and we find out Bulleteer is actually kind of like best buds with uh, Night Pilot, who uh, Simon had been shacking up with a few epi- few issues before, and somehow Night Pilot has disappeared. Uh, even though Night Pilot had moved on and dated somebody else, but she never really returned back from that date, supposedly. Which I'm glad they threw that in there, because it'd be weird if she walked up and was like, I haven't seen my friend since she went out with you. That's yeah, right. What, what are you, you doing with her? <laughs> She's in a fridge, isn't she? <laughs> um, but, they, hey, no, you got the wrong lantern, buddy. <laughs> um, so this leads to a whole conversation with of the introduction and it's to everybody, but pretty much us, but I mean, besides us, but to the rest of the, to Jessica and then more of a further explanation to the world at large here to, to caper, which is the secret superhero dating app, which supposedly does such a great job, but you have to wonder how good a job it could really do. Uh, at, at encryption and blocking IPs and everything else to make sure that your data is completely secure. So Simon pretty much explains all this and kind of explains that oh you know she he kind of hooked up with with her a couple of times. Um, they arrive at the watchtower and where you know Cyborg kind of points at you know Cyborg. Meanwhile, Jessica while this is going on, Jessica is like seemingly automatically super obsessed with this app and she's signing up for it and she's figuring oh she wants she wants to, she signs up for the plan for extra money where the computer picks picks her match for her and a lot of this episode is. And this this issue in particular is about her kind of like playing around with the app and what the app is telling her. Cyborg is the one in the watchtower, and they kind of Simon and Cyborg are having have these conversation about everything and also about the, the disappearance of Night Pilot and, and other disappearances about the so-called uh, gravitonic wave displacement, uh, quantum teleportation. Which is uh, right up there with luminal space. <laughs> so we have all. So basically, we get a, a running list of all these of all these C list C listers superheroes, and Cyborg just kind of gives a little explanation. You know, not every hero gets invited to the big events. I like that in crossovers. So that was a nice touch. That they're pretty much local superheroes and everything else. So there's a lot of superheroes flying under the under the radar. It's that at this point, because Jessica's fooling around with the app, that she, of all people, because, you know, just because she's not really trying, she's able to figure out that all these names of the people that Cyborg pretty much has rattled off, they're all on caper. So that's what the commonality of all the missing heroes is, is that they all signed up for the superhero dating app. Uh, the little, little borderline cat fighting when, when uh, 
Jessica finally gets to see what Night Pilot looks like and kind of makes a point about, you know, how she's cute. A, a little pretentious based on, based on how she wrote up her page, but she's cute. Uh, if, you know, they fly off into space. Simon fills her back in. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I took – I. It's like, uh, I took her home, I t uh, and she saw my place, basically she, pointing out how she didn't really like it, and Jessica's naturally thinking she, uh, Simon took her to Michigan, you know, to her, his sister's place, but no, Simon explains he took her to the, uh, se to the sector house. They, uh, Simon and Jessica pretty much are going to the, uh, <laughs> this, this, like, this, it's almost like this out of a garage operation here, which is where they're running, uh, for Caper from, and they're trying to find out, basically, more more private information to help to, to try to locate these any information they're going to be able to have to help locate all these all these missing heroes for their credit you know the the the, the caper people are not really willing to just volunteer information which is kind of good really that they that they aren't you know simon kind of acts like a dick as usual i like the way he i like in this how he says you know i i look i'm i'm tr I was like kind of like listen look geeks i'm the nice one which is just so typical simon bass is like yeah and he kind of points out well i could bring in like salak or kilowog which actually would be an improvement over simon but <clears throat> while simon's trying to like co coerce the caper people to give him the info that he wants. Jessica's having a little aside with her ring because her ring kind of keeps flashing a little bit because Jessica lied to Simon when uh, Simon asked her like about who her who her match was because uh, her match actually came up Simon the computer the 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 engine in the app actually matched her up with Simon and she's trying to uh, trying to uh, not openly admit that for obviously more than just the surface level reason of potentially Simon making fun of her. Obviously there's a little underlying t sexual tension there, which uh, we'll talk about later on. Uh, at this point, Je Jessica, Jessica and Simon get attacked. Jessica first. Simon and Jessica track, track down the, you know, the kind of the, the assailant here. And unfortunately we find out it's one of the, uh, one of the, one of the Omega men, uh, mm -hmm. scraps. Which means mm -hmm. nothing to me. Uh, means nothing to me. I've read that book, but by read I mean I skimmed it. I was gonna so say, could... you mean open it, look at some pretty pictures, and close it. <laughs> All right, which panels have Kyle or the word Kyle in? Right. Them? Okay. Cool. All right. Right. Bye. So <laughs> the only the only thing interesting is that there was she comes from the Vegas system, right? That's about the only thing moderately interesting about her. Yeah, but we do see an image of Kyle in his Omega costume there from that that series. Yeah, I will be I will be fair. That's this series was written I think by Tom King, and he's a fantastic writer. He's doing great stuff like on the Batman side of things, um, and he's going to be doing some other things too. But I personally don't like that series. I know Reed. I mean, uh, I know I don't I don't know the Doctor uh, over at Doctor DC Podcast loved that series. And anytime I talk shit about it, somebody out there defends it. So a lot of people really like that series, evidently. Maybe I have to give it another shot, but personally, when I first was going through it, I was just really slogging through it. And I haven't even slogged through, so so that so you're one up on me on this one. Uh, luck, luckily, that pretty much ends the Omega Men tie-in with this issue. Now we cut back to uh, where the bearer of bad news. That's a great hero name. Uh, who basically is a is a cellmate right next door to Night Pilot, and they're kind of having a conversation, and we find out that basically this is a prison. Now we see is all a prison full of superheroes, 
and Night Pilot at least points out, well, well, I joined Caper to meet people like me. At least it delivered on that. Oh. I was kind of irritated by this last page. I feel like they missed an opportunity because I don't. I, did you read at the beginning of the New Fifty Two uh, Justice League of America vibe, the vibe miniseries? No. Okay, so I'm pretty sure. I think that was. Yeah, I I, I don't think it was just Justice League of America. I'm pretty sure it was vibe in that issue. Again, and also I think because it's we're talking beginning of the New Fifty Two, so this is. What's that? 2011. So this is seven years ago. Um, in in one of those issues towards the beginning of that series, I think Amanda Waller or somebody in a role like various characters from across the multiverse that they've incarcerated because you know in in New Fifty Two and I guess now in the Flash TV show, Vibe's power is like multi-dimensional incursions and. He can feel that, stuff like that. So that's how it's tied into the book. But they show like a, a big image of this sort of underground holding facility, uh, sort of like this, you know, translucent um, cylinder sort of things and various beings in them. And in one of them, it's it's not clear in terms of like how detailed maybe some of these more foreground characters are, are, are on this page, but like almost in the background, uh, not as clear as like let's say that guy in the very very on the left side in the very top on 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 her on night pilot's row in the very back we're talking like small and very almost undistinguishable was pariah from crisis and that got a lot of people talking like that's pariah you know i'm i'm a little upset that they didn't take more advantage of this sort of format like just show i mean i get that we're getting a bunch of like Never heard before characters for this story, for this, all these people that are supposedly missing, all these people that are in these cells and so on and so forth. But you, you, you can throw somebody in here, right? Like, even if you don't have to, DC's done that so many times before and they don't have to say it's canon, uh, or that it's really that person. They just like, I don't know. And people are sort of okay with that. So couldn't they do that here and just show us somebody like, that looks like so and so. We haven't seen him in blah blah blah. I I feel like that's like a, a missed opportunity with some of these like nobody characters. Well, there are a few in the shadow. Maybe those are the maybe those are the those would be the big reveal. I'm I'm more fascinated by the person by the one in the cent like the center panel on the right hand side where we have like two people in the same prison cell. I guess they were looking for a threesome. Who is that? You know, for a second, I was like, "Is that Hawk and Dove?" But like, that's that that can't be it. And unless it, she's red, he's blue. Could be female Hawk and male Dove. I don't know. Um, Nightwing and Flamebird? No, I don't think so. I feel like I'm supposed to know the person above them, and the person to, from our point of view, the person to their right. Right. Yeah. Maybe, but. Uh, yeah. Almost none of these jabronis mean it. Look familiar to me. Uh, the one, the only one who looks like a hundred percent familiar, like I'm pretty sure we've seen, is on the very bottom left row in the middle. I'm pretty sure I've seen that costume somewhere before. <clears throat> uh, and speaking of like background characters, at the very beginning they've got uh, Bulleteer, Firestorm, 
which she's a white guy, so I'm pretty sure that's Ronnie Raymond. I don't Firestorm doesn't have his own title right now, so I don't know which incarnation of the Firestorm Matrix we're dealing with these days, so I'm going to assume Ronnie and the Professor and or Ronnie and Jason, with Jason being the mind. Um, and they also have Blue Beetle, like you mentioned, but there's Supergirl and Power Girl. I thought they couldn't be near each other. Or does that whole different frequencies, same person thing not apply anymore for some reason? I have no way of knowing. That, could, again, could have just been something that slipped, slipped through and somebody didn't even think twice about it. I'm not sure. Did, do you know what I'm talking about? I think that? I know what you're talking about, but I, I, I'm not going to lie. I didn't... I, I didn't even catch – and normally and normally Power Girl would stand out like a sore thumb. I didn't, I didn't even pay much attention to Power Girl in that in that in in the back of that panel either. But. Yeah, there was, a, there was one point where um, because they're – because Supergirl is Kara from Earth-1 and Power Girl's technically Supergirl from Earth-2, they're the same person but vibrating at different frequencies. So when they are near each other – and we're not talking like – within a couple of football fields, but when they're close by each other, I don't know if it causes some sort of headache or some sort of canceling out that makes them sick. I don't know. They're, or if they, one of them goes crazy. Something happened when they were near each other, and I don't remember if that's still in play or not. And that's all I have to say about this issue. No, I'm not... I don't have anything uh, fun to say about the actual content of the issue itself. I mean, I like the art. I'll say that. Yeah, the art was... The art. I almost mentioned that. The art was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even the characters who aren't here, heroes look pretty good. Like, you know, the, the the people in the garage look really well done. You know, like the girl in the... I'm pretty sure that's a Slayer t-shirt. Um, well designed. They put a lot of thought into the way these people look. Um, and, you know, I guess it really shows off this artist... I mean, as much as I complain about, you know, let's not, why, why can't we have at least some sort of a shout out to an obscure character we haven't seen in a while? At the same time, this artist is creating, if these are all nobody, characters nobody's ever seen before, they are creating a lot of characters and designs out of thin air. So props to them for that. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, that's all I got, man. And of course, at the end of this, we have an ad for Earth One. Yes. Which I picked up today. <laughs> yeah, I should have about, mine soon. About halfway through. Let's see. All right, forty-one. Forty-one. All right, forty-one. Superhuman trafficking part two. Well, the, the, the cover is good. So, the cover I have is good. The. Uh, which one do you have? I have the one with. Uh, What's your what's your face with her two guns drawn shooting at okay. Simon in the background and Jessica in the foreground? Wanted dead or alive? And then, have you seen the variants for these, by the way? Uh, I may have, but I don't remember what they are. The variant for yours is a close-up, uh, almost uh, a bust, bust sort of shot in the heart. Uh, that's the one I have. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And then uh, the second one, the second variant uh, for this one is them in that same sort of art style, but full body and kind of art bickering over the lantern. Um, all right, so, where was I? 
Oh yeah, writer Tim Seeley, pencilers Barnaby uh, Bagenda and Tom Derenick, inks by Mike Gray and Derenick, colorist. Uh, ooh, zoom in. Areola. Yeah, Ulysses Areola, letter Dave Sharp, cover Will Conrad and Ivan Nunez, variant cover Brandon Peterson, assistant editor Andrew Marino and editor Mike Cotton. Yeah, we're reading the editing team again. Let's see if they give us a reason not to going forward. <laughs> uh, we opened one month ago to the date that uh, Simon and Night Pilot had. Uh, he's reflecting on it as they're going th- towards uh, through space to figure out what's been going on. Uh, Simon is, you know, kind of reminiscing on the app and what's going on. Um, and... Uh, Jessica's still trying to hide the fact that she got matched with Simon. Uh, they are heading into the Vegas system. And uh, the planet that they're going to, Garnett, um, which is we'll learn later, nobody calls that anymore. It's called Hellhole, is, the, is in the sector last patrolled by Jack T. Chance, who died, obviously. And he never got a replacement. Jessica and Simon are wondering why. If you've been a Green Lantern fan for a long time, you know why. Because the Vegas system technically, I don't think it is anymore, but was off-limits to Green Lanterns, uh, per the Guardians of the Universe. Uh, Scraps uh, is going to be their little prisoner, leading them to what's going on. Um, they they land on Hellhole um, as uh, in disguise to sort of feel like I guess they're I was I was a little fuzzy on this plan here like are they selling her or sh- they're just holding on to her so it she they can get cut in on the deal or something is that is that the plan they're supposedly working under to trick people I'm trying to I'm let's see I think say something about being cut in on it but like she's in chains so what are they just holding on to her? Is the guys that they're holding on to her to make sure that they get their cut? Let's see. The two badass mercs who cut scraps stealing from us, we're keeping her prisoner until she can pay us by hooking us up with her distributors. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. All right. Uh, so they finally find Scraps' contact. The ruse doesn't hold up very long as another intergalactic sort of dating app <laughs> screws them. Um, and they get found out. They fight. Um... They keep fighting throughout the streets, uh, and then uh, over in six sectors away, all the captured heroes and stuff are being loaded up to go back to work, except for Night Pilot. She gets pulled away, and then we cut back to Hellhole, where Jessica and Simon and Scraps find the two contacts, and they say, okay, we'll give you this information, but... There hasn't been a Green Lantern on this planet forever, so in order to give you this information, the best payment is our is reputation. So I'm going to need you to make it look like we defeated you, so that we can brag that we're the baddest mothers around, essentially. So they do in exchange for that information, and then over uh, uh, to apparently where this is all being uh, this whole prison situation is working out with Night Pilot and the other stolen heroes. Um, the Order of the Steed. Night Pilot is brought before this uh, sort of kingly, priestly-looking person. Welcome, my child. 
as you have been told, there are so many ways there there are many ways you give so that we may pull the universe from chaos. And I have an assignment for you. I hope you feel special. Next, take me to church. Ugh. I have a question. Are, and I forgot to ask it in your issue because it came up in your issue. They don't make a big deal out of it, and they really shouldn't. But are they trying to imply that Jessica's bisexual? Yes. Or did we already know that about her? I don't think we knew that about her. I think they, they are definitely open opening the door for for that. Because she mentions it in your issue, you know, am I into both or whatever. There's no answer given. But the next thing we see is her pulling up information uh, later on on Night Pilot, meaning she's accessing information on her app of based on her preferences. Well, not unless she borrowed unless she borrowed Simon's phone. That's, that's not necessarily true. I mean, she. I mean, if she if assuming Night Pilot is listed under her actually listed under that name. She she already knows at this point what the name of the person Simon's and you know Simon has been involved with is, or I believe, so she's she's just checking her out. I think that's more of the cattiness of it than necessarily because she's. So I think that I think that's more checking out checking Night Pilot out because of the fact that she knows that Simon was into her literally, but I mean he had an he had an interest in her. So gotcha. I think that's what it was, but yes, yeah, so they're implying when when they're asking, you know, are you are you you know you are you looking for men, women, both, and she gives you that hmm, that yeah, that's a little too, that's not that's not overly subtle in trying to at least make it sound like at the very least at the very least she's unsure of 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 her ten of exactly where she lies. If not, that's probably what it's supposed to really, you know, what based on what's on the page, that's how I would interpret it. That it's at least implying the fact that. You know, she's at least open, or she's not necessarily sure that she plays for one team exclusively. Gotcha. Not that it's a big deal, but I mean, mm-hmm. it feels, it's another aspect of her personality that I think they might be trying to speak to, so I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, are they... This Sorry. ship they're flying, is this the Interceptor? Uh, I didn't even notice that. Pay much attention. From the, anima- from the animated series? I didn't... Th- uh, where where do they get? When do they first get onto the ship? Well, you don't see them get onto the ship. You do see the ship flying through space. Uh, In the page where the dead body hits the windshield. Uh, I guess it could be. I mean, it's, it looks like it. Yeah, it I was gonna say. Like it. It. I was gonna say it's probably at least modeled on it. I mean, it, from, it doesn't necessarily mean it's the same ship, but it could be. Because it's even got the little circular thing at the bottom where that where they can shoot their ring energy through, or at least they did in the in the the animated series. That'd be interesting if all those sector houses are equipped like a, with a little ship and they're all interceptors. So that's like the official ship of the Green Lantern Corps. That is true. Uh, I like the sort of procedural stuff in, in both of these comics. Um, like when Simon and Jessica in your issue first show up at the, that garage, they knock and Simon announces himself. Yes. You know, as, as a Green Lantern or whatever. Um, they're flying through space and they're sort of debriefing each other on what this planet is and what the situation is. Um, so they, you know, they, they, they know kind of the situation, but 
when things go down, you know, they're they're holding to the rule of the law. So even though they're in a sector that's supposedly lawless. So whereas somebody like probably Guy or Jack T. Chance would have been on that planet and just saying, there's no rules here, so why should I abide by any? So that's cool. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Uh, that's all I got. Anything else? Um, I thought there was something else. Uh... Oh, I forgot to mention in my recap. The Order of the Steed is the same, evidently, group of people that, when they first get down onto the planet in their disguise, they get a cost. They get approached by a bunch of uh, citizens. Yeah, citizens or whatever who are begging for begging for money or whatever. And um, I believe they're they're part of that. The Order of the Steed is what Scraps mentions. The the only thing I liked about I really liked about this issue is kind of it was kind of nice to throw back to the whole Jack T. Chan stuff and all the stuff we read about in Core. Mm-hmm. That was and the qu- quarterly. That was that was that was kind of good. Uh, it would have been cool to see some of that imagery. Right. This yeah. looks a little bit more advanced. There's not as much like trash and graffiti on the walls, and you know, it, it would have been cool too. Like I can't remember, but wasn't there a specific something like someone was here, or whatever, written on the walls in one of the quarterly ones we pointed out? Yeah. And that, if that like they went back, read that, wrote that same thing on a wall somewhere. And the art mostly is good in this. There's a few hit or miss spots. I mean, Simon looks really good. Simon's drawn kind of really goofy in a few panels. Um, I'm the whole. I'm I'm a little. I don't know how I feel about the whole him and Night Pilot thing because now it seems like it's almost revisionist history, where the, where at least from Simon's perspective, they, they had this hot and heavy romance when the last time we saw them together, she pretty much was brushing them off. More or less, she was like, <laughs> she was going. She they were they were done. She was going to the can, and he, she wanted him to take her home. That kind of thing. So now, and we and we are, and at least we we do know that obviously it wasn't the love connection that Simon seemingly thought that he found with her because she already already moved on to date somebody else next. So that that's what I'm a little. I I wonder if the whole point of this is at the end. So Simon's going to be just so happy to see her, and she's just going to be well. Thanks for rescuing me. Goodbye. <laughs> And right. Just, just because of the what we, which we haven't really discussed, is the, the seeming desire to force Simon and Jessica together, or to just have this, or to just have a blatant amount of sexual tension between the two of them, even if they don't develop it into a, a real relationship. Well, tension—I wouldn't say sexual tension, but it, it, it's, it's almost—I think the way I read it personally, I mean, clearly by drawing them within a heart and all this kind of crap on, on one of the covers. They're, they're trying to point towards that, but the way it read in story was it seemed like Jessica never really thought about Simon until the app suggested it, and now she's like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Whereas I don't think I see anything on the part of Simon towards her. No. No, Simon's yeah. just oblivious, which isn't surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Anything else about these two? No, but I'm not. This arc really isn't doing much for me. Yeah, we'll have to see where it goes. If it does anything, I mean, I'll say this for the for for Tim Seeley, like you know, he's he's coming up with 
you know, interesting stories that are relatively interesting stories that are taking place outside of concepts we already know uh, within the DC universe. So he's he's definitely he's definitely um, playing within the world a little bit more as opposed to just sticking with some of the stuff we already know. Yeah, he's he's building building it up. He's going off in in different directions, and he's he's not giving you necessarily what you would expect. So it it is so it's you give him you get give him credit for not you know following the beaten path, but I also can't say that stories that he's given that he's written so far, which has nothing to do with the quality of the writing, it just has to do with what they are about. Mm-hmm. I can't really say that. That any of the arcs that he's written so far really have enthralled me all that much. So far, that's true. And I know Seeley's certainly capable of it, so we'll have to see where he goes with his run. So, all right, on to the next thing. On to the next thing. What do you want to talk about first? Uh, you, you, you go. You you go into your little your, your wheelhouse first, and then we'll 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 trickle down into other things. All right, so I saw Wrinkle in Time, and as those of you who listened to that uh, uh, movies we're looking forward to in 2018 episode, um, heard that was on my top five list and towards the top, so I had to had to go see it. Um, I mentioned before I read the books as a kid, uh, so this is a I had to see it thing, not just a I read them as a kid, so therefore I'm curious. I wrinkle in time and the entire series, as a matter of fact, of the Madeline Engel books are pretty important to me overall. Um, so I had to see it. I didn't read any spoilers before seeing it, but I did see some of the reactions, uh, that people were having to the film, um, sort of non-spoiler reactions to the film, uh, ahead of time. So it, I will say, Reading those non-spoiler sort of reactions let me sort of take a beat, take a breath, and reevaluate my position before I saw the film. Because I just wanted to see it because, oh, wrinkle in time. I, as much as I intellectually knew this, I wasn't like, um, consciously thinking about it. Wrinkle in Time was written in the 60s as a kid's book for kids, and this movie was adapted by Disney of a children's book for kids to see. This movie is not marketed to me. So as much as I or any other adult going into this film may be putting our own wishes and hopes and what we want to see and so on and so forth and how, what we want to be entertained with onto this film, at its core, it is a kid's movie based on kids' material. Now, as Jim pointed out uh, in, a, in a message to me, that there, there are kids' movies based on kids' material that are adapted and appeal to the adults. So it's entirely possible. Um, so I, I guess we can give it that. I enjoyed it. I thought it was visually cool. Um, I, there were a uh, more than one, but not quite as many. There were more than one moments where people in the theater laughed at moments that you really got the impression they were trying to make either menacing or whatever, and it just came across as cheesy or funny. Um, so obviously that's not good. Uh, I'm not I'm not the connoisseur of film that Mark is, so I'm not familiar with 
the, uh, the, I don't really care to look up the names of the actors and stuff that I'm not already familiar with. The girl who played Meg, um, she did wonderful. She did really well, uh, which you would hope since Meg is the focus of the care, the, the focus of the story. Um, Chris Pine and what's, what's the girl's name? I know you follow the actress. The, oh, the Gugu the mother. Yeah. Uh, they both did very well with what little sort of moments they had in the film. Uh, bigger roles than you'd think, but not, not surprisingly big in terms of if you read the books. Um, the kid who played Charles Wallace did well with this sort of intelligent young child, uh, who, who you kind of cock your head at when you hear some of the big words coming out of his mouth. But at the same time, his acting sort of felt robotic or wooden or whatever i mean he did he did good there were there were moments where you know the audiences were obviously was really connecting with him because they'd say things you'd hear like oh or, or things like that or laughter at the funny stuff he said or, or whatever so that he he clearly connected with people um but i felt he could have done better and the kid who played calvin um i thought he did well as well but his role is more of a love interest slash supporting role character anyways uh minnie kaling reese witherspoon and oprah winfrey were in there obviously as mrs who mrs watch it miss watch it miss witch and they did well a little too much oprah for my tastes but okay um but yeah no, i mean i were great visuals it adapted the story really well um uh, mark you did read the books, right, as a kid? I read, the, remember, I read the trilogy like I think most people probably have just read the trilogy more than read all five. Okay. Um, so do you remember in the movie they get to Kamazots and rescue Meg's father, but Calvin gets uh, corrupted by the It, and they test her off-planet without Charles Wallace, and Meg has to recover a bit, and there's a character named Aunt Beast, and... They're on there a little bit before Meg goes back to Kamazots to rescue Charles Wallace. Yeah, it sounds familiar. That whole part is cut from the movie. There's no go to rescue dad. Charles Wallace gets left, you know, it gets, uh, it's seized by it and they, they leave Charles Wallace behind and then come back. So the whole Aunt Beast thing is cut. Although there is a nice shout out because the happy medium who's played by Zach Galifianakis, um, the happy medium when he's with Meg, sort of finding her center or whatever, she sees things. And one of the things is a quick flash of these beings on a planet, and you can hear the uh, the happy medium say, oh, there's Aunt Beast. So at least there's a shout-out to it. Uh, so that was missing. Uh, and one, there, are two, there are two things missing that are two things that were really changed in the history of these characters that bothered me going into it. Um, I figured just non-spoiler review, but I did figure out before going into it, Charles Wallace is adopted in this. He's not the, the birth son of, of, of uh, the father and the mother. So he was adopted. That bothered me until I saw the movie and how true they were to the character of Charles Wallace, regardless of how the kid pulled off the acting, at least the character was true. So once I saw the film, that didn't bother me as much. What's been bothering me since I saw the movie, though, are Denny and Sandy's are nowhere to be seen. 
They're not mentioned. It's not like, oh, we have two brothers that are just off on a field trip or whatever. The twins are nowhere to be found. It is just Meg and the adopted Charles Wallace. That is it. Those are the only two children that these uh, this Murray family has. And I read online about the writer's reasoning for that, and their reasoning was such that Wrinkle in Time is not their story. And they weren't writing this with the idea of let's make a franchise out of this and do, like, let's adapt all the books. So they were trying to pare it down enough to where they could be true to the entire story of Wrinkle in Time. Here's my problem with that. If you remember Wrinkle in Time, Denny and Sandy's have nothing to do with Wrinkle in Time other than essentially the same role the mother plays in this film. Denny and Sandy's are there, like when Meg wakes up on a stormy night when Miss Whatsit shows up or whatever, but they don't go with them on this this trip. They're nowhere to be seen during the interstellar travel. They are literally just two brothers, two other siblings that Meg and Charles Wallace have that are just there. And when they come back, they're there. That's it. So I don't know what they were trying to accomplish by really getting rid of them because there's not a part that Danny, Denny and Sandy's play in that, that book that could really harm the film by adding them in there. They could have simply not wanted to... There's, I think there's multiple reasons why they could have done this. I think, number one, maybe they didn't want to... They didn't want to lock themselves potentially into casting these characters, even when the reality is by the time you get to using them, and because uh, they're they're they are more of the factors in four and five, right? Uh, four, which is many waters, which that that story uh, fling. It's one of it's one of it, it is it is my favorite book of the series, uh, but at the same time, many waters flings Sandy and Denny's back or Denny and Sandy's back through time to the time of Noah. <laughs> so it's a lot more of a, obviously all the Madeline Lango books have a sort of religious overtones, good and evil sort of thing to it. But the many waters thing is really on the nose. So they may simply have not wanted to cast these characters or be locked into casting these characters now when, when if everything worked the way that you would dream it would work, which apparently won't happen, you know, it's not. It's not like based on the overall box office of of this movie, it's not likely that we're ever going to see four and five. Let alone who I, it's probably not even necessarily likely we're going to see the conclusion of the trilogy. But yeah, wind in the door and the swiftly tilting, the tilting planet. planet. Yes, the books, the, the three books that people remember the most, uh, of, I think of those of the Leangle books are yes. The uh, Wrinkle in Time, Swiptly Tilt, uh, yeah, Wind in the Door, Swiptly Tilting Planet. Because I, I remember I read all those in school. I read all those in. So I think they may simply have not wanted to cast and be kind of like borderline locked in to keeping the same actors, which could be only a problem if you didn't really care. Again, like you said, they're not big factors at all in this book. So you could cast. So it didn't. So you didn't have to put a lot of scrutiny in casting them. But then if, if you. But then if you're going to keep the same actors showing up, and they don't turn out to be good enough to be able to pull off more leading roles, then you have to recast, and that could be. Or they just simply like they made the decision that these characters are not really a factor in this book, 
And while yes, it would it obviously would have been really easy just to throw some lip service into and, and to acknowledge them, and that probably is a mistake not to do that. They may have just simply said these characters are not a factor in this book, and let's not put the cart in front of the horse, and let's just deal with the characters we need to to tell the story. And then, so I I, th- I do think it's odd that they wouldn't get a verbal acknowledgement. I mean, if you don't want to cast them, I think there's pl- like I said, there's plenty of reason I think not to do that, but I don't necessarily know why you wouldn't want to mention them. What have you been seeing? If you've been paying attention to all the the, the box office and reaction and all that stuff. Well, I mean, it lost it lost to Black Panther again, which is not. But, but obviously, there's there's not a lot of shame in losing to Black Panther by itself. Because I want to talk about that when we get done with this too. Uh, but it it, it kind of underachieved from a box office perspective. It, there was a higher end of what people thought it might do, and it kind of fell more on the lower end. It didn't do a lot of money overseas so far, which, again, could have been the way it was rolled out. But it's not likely it's going to have a lot of legs. I don't think it's it, – it is more of a kid's movie, quote-unquote, than, let's say, Tomb Raider, which comes out this week, and Pacific Rim, which comes out, I think, the week after that. But it's kind of – they all kind of overlap for the, for, the, for the audience. So I don't really think this is going to have a lot of – it's going to have a lot of life. You know, it's not going to have legs, I don't think. There's no reason to think. Plus, the you know, the reviews have not been great on it. So I don't really think it's going to... Now, if the production budget was $100 million, which, of course, doesn't count the marketing, I mean, I suppose there's a chance it could end up more or less breaking even if things go really right. And if it does, it's okay overseas. I mean, it only made 30-something. It only made 30-something. I'll tell you in a second exactly what it made. But it made like 30-something million over, over its opening weekend. So that that doesn't bode well. I made thirty, a little over thirty-three million, in its op, in its opening weekend. So it it's, it's not really. It certainly doesn't bode well. It doesn't look like it's gonna come. If it's you're lucky, it'll make sixty to seventy percent maybe of its production budget back domestically during the course of its run. If it holds, if it holds really well. If it doesn't, if it drops up more than fifty percent in week two, now you're looking at you know like about sixteen million dollars. Added in to what, and plus whatever it does during the week. So you're still lo- you're still looking at only like around fifty to sixty million dollars in its first like ten ten days or so, and it's probably and it's probably going to nosedive. So it is a decent shot if the production budget is around a hundred, and then no matter what, how much you want to, if you want to tack on twenty five, let's say twenty five for marketing, which might be I don't know if that's conservative or not, but it. It's it's not I don't think it's going to be a box it's not going to be a disaster for, for box office wise for Disney but I also don't know if it's going to be enough of a jump start to say yeah we should do more we should do more of these at least at least Lion Witch in the Wardrobe made a shit ton of money but the you know when that when that came out so it perfectly it made perfect sense to at least to try to roll out the next few books that still had some of the Pevensey kids in them to at least you know continue that even though. It did kind of go down, fall off the cliff pretty quickly after The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is the most well-known book and probably the best book, most interesting book to adapt anyway. So we'll see. I mean, I, I, I it's not like it really – it's not like it was pro- – Disney's projections were like they were expecting $50 million opening weekend for this. Supposedly they were only expecting like somewhere like maybe between – it was either between 33 and 35 or 35 and 38. I think it was 35 and 38. 
So it didn't it underachieved a little, not dramatically, but the reviews didn't help. How it hold, how it holds is going to be big and so I mean if as 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 a being a fan of the books, I would not necessarily say to to people who are fans of the books it's not, you know, a slam dunk that you're not going to get to see more of these uh but yeah. It doesn't necessarily look the look super promising either, but it it, dep- it it depends. I think that's definitely a jury still out kind of kind of situation. Yeah, um, and I I looked it up because I you mentioned marketing. Um, they didn't do much in the way of marketing toys wise either. It looks like Funko is going to be releasing a Mrs. Who with what's it Miss Witch Pop uh, a three pack as well as an individual pack. And then it looks like Barbie has also a Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, Miss Switch available. But beyond that, I don't see anything else like action figures or play sets or anything like that. Just three pops and three Barbies of the same three characters. Yeah, which is kind of an interesting decision for something that is supposed to be marketed as a kids movie. And yet. Yeah. And yet. <clears throat> and yet. And there's not there's not a lot of you know there's not a whole bunch of tie-ins on that level so that makes you it is it is it is interesting um, obviously it's interesting it's interesting too because it looks like according to this pricing these Barbies are fifty bucks a piece which means again when, they're being geared geared for collectors yeah and I would say I the mo- it seemed like the I don't even in a way it seems like the movie was so it's like the f- just from looking at the trailers it seemed like it almost was a little like of two minds when it came to the marketing. On one level, you wanted to appeal to people who read the book, even though looking at the visuals for this, they may not have really appealed to the people who who read the books. And at the same time, with all you know, with all the all the adult actors that they cast in these roles, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily seem like that would really appeal to a lot of kids if you're trying to get you know if you're trying to play up the Meg part. And get people to want to go. I don't know. It, it seemed like it was a little, a little confusing in, in the in the way that the movie was being presented. Like you mentioned in the that maybe there was too much Oprah in the movie. It seems like Oprah was a little too present, maybe even in the hype and the marketing for the for the film. That this that that was that was something that was supposed to make this special since Oprah hasn't acted really in that much in so long. To, you know, to so that I don't know it, something commercial like this. So it does seem. Maybe they they were maybe trying to trying to capture everything, and in the in the end, maybe they kind of like didn't capture nearly enough of one thing, as opposed to you know if they had focused on zero, one audience, maybe in re- bringing that in instead of instead of spreading the wealth around the way they did, and kind of like maybe borderline. I don't know if alienating is the right word, but just not appealing enough to either of the demographics they were trying to trying to get, you know trying to reach. Yeah, makes sense. But, you know, just like I said, overall, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, but again, I, it, it's a kids movie based on kids material. Um, the visuals are cool. Just don't, don't go into expecting a lot and I think you'd enjoy it. I mean, if, if you're as big of a fan of, of the books as I am. So you're definitely not miss, you're, 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 you're not missing anything, but at the same time, if you're such a huge fan, I, I think it's worth seeing for sure, especially when you consider how, uh, how the uh, was it the directed DVD film did several years back, right? Or the made for TV movie, whatever it was that they did. But yeah, 
I mean, I enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't let down by it, but I wasn't wowed by it either. Well, it's good that you weren't let down by it. Yeah, for sure. So, All right. So, uh, since we're so we're in movies, before we segue into what the final thing we're going to talk about, which won't be movies, uh, let's let's talk about let's talk about Black Panther a little a little bit. Uh, so Black so Black Panther won the weekend again last week, which was I think the fourth week in a row that it did that, which which becomes like the only the first Marvel movie to ever actually do that to win the week there win the box office four weeks in a row, and it, it friggin' dropped like only like I think like thirty eight percent from the week before. So so not only is Black Panther making tons of bank, Black Panther is also defying the the common sense model, which is that as longer the movie goes out, you're going to have bigger and bigger drops from one weekend to the next. And actually, percentage-wise, Black Panther is actually getting better because I think the week before it was like a 41 or a 40-something 40 40 percent drop from weeks two to three. And then from weeks three to four, it was only a 41 percent drop. So Black Panther in 26 days has made five, almost $571 million, which basically puts it about close to like – Six, give or take, like six million dollars behind Last Jedi at this point. So it actually has a realistic shot to end up making more money than Last Jedi when it finishes, and it actually has a realistic shot at making more than the Avengers, which I don't necessarily know if I really wanted to, because because of how important the Avengers was, I still would like to see the Avengers be number one. But pretty much at this point, if it looks like, give or take, about fifty-three million dollars more, if Black Panther makes like another fifty-three million dollars more domestically. In its run, that I think that should be that should put it over the top for to catch the Avengers, since Avengers is at 6.23, and Black Panther sitting at 5.70. So about 53 million dollars, give or take, would put Black Panther as the number one, <laughs> as surprising as shocking as it would be, the most the biggest mo- domestic money maker of all the Marvel cinematic movies thus in their cinematic universe thus far. And you have to think it has a decent shot at it because if it conti- if if it continue this weekend will tell a tale a lot because not that I really expect much out of uh, Tomb Raider, I don't think Tomb Raider is going to make a lot of money. I would be really surprised if it did. But if Black Panther still has a relatively small drop this week, let's say it's still somewhere like around 38 to 40 something percent, which means, I mean, just realistically, even if it dropped 50 percent, st- the movie would still be would still be making somewhere like around 20 something million dollars that it would be a little bit less than that but it'd be somewhere somewhere in that, in that ballpark that's that still gets you a long way to what you have to do because so it's got a shot I, I don't necessarily I'm not going to say it has a great shot but it has a realistic shot if it can hold for a couple of more weekends and still continue to do what it's been doing during the week which isn't bad either because even Tuesday box office had to make over $5 million. So if it can continue to do stuff like that, even for a couple more weeks where it's making 3 to $5 million every day, besides what you're adding on to the weekend, then you got a pretty good shot. So I, that, that's, that's really, I mean, that's really, really impressive how much money that's made. I mean, if you look at the, tw- the actual top 2018 movies so far, it's like there's no comparison. It's like Black Panther sitting there at almost 571 million, and the next closest movies, which is scary onto itself, which is Fifty Shades Freed, and that's not even at 100 million. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
And before we leave movies, there's one thing, and I really hope this wasn't on the release schedule when we did this, did this, uh, did our episode, because I would have to shoot myself in the head if I completely overlooked this, because I, but according, to, at least according to the current release schedule, on November 21st, the sequel to Creed is supposed to come out, and for some reason, I don't remember seeing that, that's why I'm hoping that was an, a late addition to the release schedule, because I, I mean, I'd be kind of embarrassing for me to miss that if that was already on the release schedule in January when we did this episode. Because if if I if I had seen that or if it had been on the schedule, one of the two, and I had overlooked it, if it had been, that would have been like my number two movie. I'd be looking forward to seeing Creed two more than any other movie this year, other than Infinity War. <laughs> so I just happened to notice that because I saw a video I, because I've been seeing videos of uh, Stallone and uh, Dolph Lundgren training since Drago and since obviously Rocky will be back in, in Creed but, but Alon Drago is going to be back too since his son's going to be the the, pro, the antagonist of Apollo Creed's kid in this movie so but yeah I just happened to notice that when I was looking for the release date because I expected to find it it was going to be 2019 which could obviously still very easily happen all you need is somebody to, to tear a muscle or something and there you go <laughs> And anything that's going to put you on the shelf for like more than three months, a serious injury in a movie, which is, it's possible, but it's just kind of cool that it's, it's supposed to be like, like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving that it's on, it's scheduled to come out. So, all right. So that's the last of the movie talk. And now let's lead us, lead us into the ho- home stretch, Chad. <laughs> all right. What do you want to talk about? Oh, come on. Cut this. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about Jessica Jones. All right, Jessica Jones. So obviously, guys, spoilers for uh, Jessica Jones season two, but it came out. I watched it all. Mark watched it all. Um, I I enjoyed it. I I continue to think that Jessica Jones is one of my favorite of the Netflix offerings. I I, I understand the the points of view that people have when they're giving it hell. But at the same time, I don't care. Uh, I like what I like, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Uh, so, yeah, I really liked it. I well, Did I think it was as good as season one? No. Did I think it was uh, several steps below season one? No. Uh, it, it, I felt like it didn't have, like, a specific big bad sort of threat the same way, you know, uh, Kilgrave did was at the beginning, uh, in, in season one. There wasn't really an actual, like, central bad guy technically in season two. Um, but man, from episode one, when it started, I was like, they must have taken, like, meticulous notes on, like, all the camera settings and shit that they used and the, the percentage of the different filters that they may have used in various scenes because tonally speaking, season two doesn't miss a beat. It's it's the same. You can tell right away. I mean, uh, it's the same show. So I I really enjoyed it. I think now let, let's go with the pros. The pros are they certainly continued what they did in Defenders, which was making Jessica Jones more likable. Which you won't, which again, despite the fact so many people just defended her being unlikable in the beginning, like, oh well, that's the character. Well, yeah, well, that's stupid, <laughs> because if your your main character can't be inherently unlikable long term, or else people are not going to stick with that. <laughs> you know, if all your supporting characters are more likable and more interesting, or at least more likable, it's going to be a problem. So that's so it doesn't matter. It'd be like if Wolverine was a total dick ninety nine percent of the time to everybody. If you if you didn't know there was a good part 
there was a warm side to him, then it would get old real quick being a dick. Kind of, kind of like we talk about Simon, how Simon comes across as being a dick so much when we in Green Lanterns, even with them toning him down, he still he still has a lot of dickish side to him. So they, it was logical that they were going to continue to kind of make her more human and a little more relatable, and dealing with some of the issues, the fallout from things that she had to do previously. So I did like that. That was that was a plus. I wasn't bored this season. From the first, I mean, the first episode, I really, I mean, I was this close to just not even bothering with Jessica Jones with the first, after, while, while watching the first episode of season one until the very end, and that got me intrigued enough to want to keep going. This season didn't have the problem with that. I was at least interested in p- seeing where the story was pick, where it was beginning, and intrigued about where where it was going to go. So, and I, so I think, and I think the season was even. I do. I mean, I do think personally. I thought the show lost momentum like halfway through, pretty much from the flashback episode going forward. I thought it lost a little momentum, but I didn't. But I, I was never bored, and I thought overall, from top to bottom, you didn't kind of have like a like a Luke Cage kind of thing where the show kind of started off pretty good and then kind of like meandered toward you know, a little bit towards the end. And much like most Marvel shows, Netflix shows. You didn't need 13 episodes. They absolutely could have made this a shorter season. You didn't need 13 episodes, uh, and it's really something they need to. I think they really need to kind of like make a determine. I mean, of all with the of all the decisions to make the Defenders the shortest show, it's one of those mind one of those mind-boggling, head-scratching things. It's like the one show you could probably very easily justify being at least as long as the other seasons because you have so many characters in them, and yet you make that the shortest the shortest show. But, but again, I wasn't bored, so that was that that was a plus. Uh, I think I think the newer characters they introduced this season, I thought were, for the most part, were good. You know, I liked Oscar. I thought he was good. He was a nice touch. Oscar and his kid. I thought uh, Costa was cool. Also, I have some warm feelings towards you know the actor who played him because he was a. Uh, he was in The Sopranos all those years, so he was already in The Sopranos for all those years, so that was cool. Though speaking which one was of Costa again, oh what the cop? Which one? The cop. Oh, the cop. The, the cop. The cop that was pro Jessica, or or appreci- yeah, yeah. appreciated what Jessica brought to the table, which which brought which leads me directly to kind of like the whole Simon Jessica good cop bad cop thing. God, I hated Costa's partner with a passion. They really overplayed the fact that she is like, okay, we get it. You don't agree with him about. Jessica, we don't need to, to have open contradiction every single scene they're together. When it, I think that was, I I don't think that was handled well. Uh, kind of made it hard to feel sorry for her when uh when she meets her fate too. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Which is, which you know she's not supposed to be inherently a bad character. She just you know you you can see from her perspective why she un, why she looks at things that way, but it doesn't make her likable, and it obviously doesn't make you feel particularly heartbroken over what, what happens. Speaking of not feeling particularly heartbroken over what happens, Trish irritated the fuck out of me this season. Yes, I was get I was I was getting to that. The, yeah. The, the the irony is, and here and now we're now I guess we have to do it because it's a spoiler. Once once we unless we can still avoid it technically. Once they once they reveal who the killer is, which I think is the end of episode six because I think seven is the flashback episode. Once they reveal who the killer of all of all these other experiments are basically from that point on not that not that the killer isn't still a problem 
But Trish is real. Trish really becomes the bad guy for the rest of the season, because Tr- yeah, not not because she's trying to be. She, it's, but between her addictive personality and which she clearly has, she has an addictive personality type, and because of the fact that she has this insecurity and jealousy over. But the Jessica has these powers, and 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 she thinks she could do something better with them. All so much of the pro, almost all the problems in the, in season two are all because because Trish just has to get stick her fucking nose in everything. So yeah, I, I had I had a big problem with that too because Trish was one of the biggest most the biggest pluses for season one, and I think they completely crapped on her. The way they wrote her, they crapped on her for almost the the entire season until maybe the end. They try to kind of try to redeem her a little bit it a little bit in, in in the final in the final episode and obviously you're setting it up for where she could go. But the the whole idea of oh, you know, she, you know, she she's an she's an addict and she's taking the thing that which another another way having Simpson be alive and then kill him the way they did and have him be such a non-factor was kind of stupid. But that little that little magic again, quote unquote, magical inhaler that he had that helped augment his own abilities. She just takes that, and all of a sudden, and all of a sudden, she, you know, with an ad- knowing that she has, you know, she's a, an addict to begin with, and then even if you didn't realize it right away, I mean, it should have hit you. I mean, it hit Malcolm. Is it, is it Malcolm? I got the name wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it, you know, real real quickly that the reality is that uh. It hit him when he when he took it, which was really stupid for him to take it too, because of all, he I mean he seems to have a better grip on understanding his, his being an addict a little even more than uh than Trish does, but it hit him real quick that oh god that was a mistake, and I just think that was that there were a lot of dumb a lot of dumb decisions certain characters made in in this season. Uh, I liked I thought Hogarth was I liked I liked her in the season. I thought she came across better in the season, a little more human in the season. Obviously, you got the vindictive side to her at the end. You know, she basically helped kill somebody. <laughs> she didn't kill. She didn't kill them, but she helped set things in motion so they would be killed. You, you know who was utterly useless? Uh, what's his name? The guy from the the other PI agency. I mean, he was there, and I kind of. I mean, for. A portion of it, you understand his purpose, I guess, but he was in the show too much. Yeah, and, and and he was he was in he was obviously the whole point of him being in the show was so he could hire Malcolm, I guess, at the end. But yes, the whole po- yeah because he serves a he's just there as a major irritant throughout the whole thing. He's like a pebble in your shoe that you can't get rid of, and then and then you're bre- stealing, you're bre- breaking and entering and stealing all the shit, which is pretty. I mean, no matter how you slice it, that's 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 pretty fucking unethical, no matter how you slice it. And then, and then trying to you know take take out the killer and everything the way he does and shoots Jess. Well, it doesn't matter. We we said at the beginning there's gonna be spoilers. I know. I, I am trying to. I I was try, Yeah, I I was trying to delay it. But yes, I guess I guess if you really didn't want spoilers, you probably wouldn't even have gone gone on this far. Yes, the 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 big the big reveal is that you know Je- Jessica's mom never re- never really died in that car crash, and that Jessica's mom is also basically a super. She's been experimented with, and partially because her her wounds were so much more severe that she ended up not only being more unstable than Jessica, which is kind of funny to say, but she's also a hell of a lot stronger than Jessica. So uh, just so uh, she also looks completely different. 
Yes. Than what than than what Jessica's mom looked like before the accident. Which that's a, why Jessica doesn't recognize her. Right, which beginning. is a cool way of re, uh, being able to justify recasting things like that too. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I also like. Well, I and I also under I understood Kilgrave's relevance. Why he appeared in that episode that he did appear in, which again, if you I like that, I, I like that episode though. If he looked horrible though, I thought David Tennant looked horrible. I don't know if I, that was by choice if they wanted him to look horrible, but I thought David Tennant did not look his normal self. I thought he looked a lot more something about him. I don't know if it was he looked a little more gaunt, maybe a little more disheveled. Um, I don't know. I'm not quite sure, but I just that kind of that kept taking me out a little bit but maybe it was on purpose i just seemed to think that it's like he just didn't look well david tennant but i yeah i understand the the him haunting her based on her action when but even though that was clearly a self defense killing that she did because she literally was blinded or she was, she was three quarters blinded and she lashed out so she really had no way of knowing you know she had very little control over what she was doing and that she, you know, a blow that she probably would have made sure was definitely not a killing blow. But I can understand that's her nightmare. Her nightmare is becoming a killer in her in her nightmare, especially once everything's tied into tied into her mother and everything. That that maybe this is genetic, kind of like almost what he taunts her with, that it's like it's in the blood kind of thing. So I understand his his purpose, but I, and again, what I was gonna say what I was gonna say was if you're expecting to see David Tennant more in this in this season, you don't. You don't. There's one episode that he's in, and other than that, he's not in the season. So he did serve a purpose. Obviously, they hint at him coming back, you know, when the time is right, based on whatever wherever her head is. But so yeah, I can't. So again, my he, the from a plot perspective, why he was in it was fine. I just thought again physically, I thought he looked a little. He didn't look well, and that kind of concerned me a little. It took took me out. Uh, I, I I didn't realize from reading the cast. I never realized that, Re- that Rebecca De Mornay is the one who plays Patsy Walker's mom. It's like wow, she's she's looks completely different. Never, it's like wow, uh, risky business and all that stuff. Re- uh, Rebecca De Mornay is the, is playing Patsy Walker's annoying mom. Uh, so next season, I think the only thing I can think of for next season would be. Um, uh, okay, so yeah, we we are in spoiler territory already. So uh, Patsy gets powers at the end of this, and for those of you who had no idea, in the first season, Patsy Walker is Hellcat in the Marvel Comics universe. Um, so she does end up becoming a hero in, in the uh, the Marvel universe. So um, with that being said, based on where things are, I'm going to assume Patsy starts using her abilities and trying to prove to herself what she told Jessica, that if I had powers, I'd do much more with them than you gets herself into trouble. And and so much and so often and, 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 and this and that, that that's what brings Jessica and her back together is because Jessica is sort of, um, you will, will be concerned about her and, Blah blah blah. You're you're gonna get yourself killed, and maybe that's what brings them closer together. Maybe that's what also brings Jessica towards the hero side of things, like the more out and out hero side of things, is trying to help Patsy 
not kill, get herself killed while she's doing this gives her a taste for be, being an actual hero. But other than that, I don't know where they're else they, they can go with it. Yeah, it was an interesting. Where the season ended was interesting. I mean, I mean, you have Hogarth who pretty much she had a tough season. She had a really tough mm. season. I mean, yeah, you had her partners trying to screw her over. She finds out she has ALS. She thinks she's being cured by another another super that part of the what was it was it IGH. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the group that did the experiments on Jessica and everybody else just to find out that's a friggin' scam and she was never really cured. Uh, so she had a, she had a really tough season. So, and yeah, Patsy, that, that's, that's what I was looking forward to the whole time, but the way they went about it was this, this season was pretty crappy that, you know, Pat, Pat's the Hellcat is one of my favorite, ironically, one of, since she probably will never be in that group on the show, but she was one of my favorite defenders when I, when I read that book. Um, she was a major component of the of the Defenders team when I was reading that book. So it is it is a really interesting spot because she really did try to I think she really did try to help Jessica because she knew Jessica was not going to be probably not be able to do what she needed to do, which was to basically put her mom down. That there pretty much going to be no choice that either Jessica was going to. Jessica probably wasn't going to be able to do it, and then if if Jessica's mom was eventually going to be put down, it was going to be at the the expense of a lot more people being killed because of how strong she was and how unbalanced she was. So Patsy Trish ends up killing uh, Jessica's mom, and that's why they're estranged at the end of the season because Jessica basically can't can't even though they are they are obviously not blood sisters, but they are kind of like the whole Gamora Nebula. They got they have the Gamora Nebula thing going on at the moment. That one, you know, the one just has this grudge against the other, and, and justifiably, it's not like it's just. There's always was there's always this inner work, you know, this in, inner tension between them, and now it's just before I was just Trish mostly having it with, with Jessica, and now it's probably just as much, if not more, Jessica having it with Trish still, th- because she still can't get over the fact that. That she just got her, she just had her mom brought put put back into her life as, as screwed up as she was, and Patsy took took her away. So, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be a really curious, really curious dynamic. And I also don't know what they're gonna do with Malcolm either, because this because they obviously went off they completely went off the rails this season too by having Malcolm and Trish sleep together. So they technically have a much closer relationship, even though they're not. But Trish used him so horribly and. <laughs> and took advantage of him so badly that obviously he's not thrilled with her either. So you have the, pretty much the three main characters on the show who are all estranged from each other and going off in different directions to do their own thing. So that is where I think that's kind of where the, in, the the intrigue is to see where they would go. But I absolutely am more intrigued to see a third season of Jessica Jones at this point than I was, than I was enthralled to see a second season of Jessica Jones. Right. All right. Anything else? I don't think so. All right, guys. Well, um, Mark, you want to tell people how they can reach out to us? <laughs> oh, actually, you know, I did take a screenshot. I did take a screenshot. Uh, somebody took us up, took us up on it, and left a comment on our website. Uh, oh, really? I didn't check. I haven't checked that yet. Go ahead. What, so what? So. It was on March 9th, uh, Jack, uh, so it's not somebody we haven't heard from before, but Jack, uh, and he left a comment under the About Us section, 
So guys, if you just to clarify, if you're going to leave a comment on the website, it's much easier. I mean, it's going to show up in the same feed for us when we're approving or denying comments. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. But just to keep things organized, if you uh, want to leave a comment on an episode, uh, go ahead and click the post for that episode and then comment directly on that post rather than a general spot on the website. But anyways, Jack says, in response to my comments on issue reviews and your responses from episode uh, 313, I meant that a changed review format would be more interesting for you, for, for both you, uh, both of you, Mark and Chad. Building off of your comments, I think having a guest like Corwin, Jim, Dan, and other members of the podcast community could add more diverse opinions on issues and maybe even capture some new listeners. That being said, in my opinion, episode uh, 313's review worked. Robert Venditti is killing it on Hal Jordan and your Green Lantern Corps. In my opinion, he has a good feel for all the lanterns. In general, Venditti writes strong character beats supported by lots of action. Most importantly, the book is fun. Well, I think we both agree that that's the better of the two books. I think yeah, I think sure. we both absolutely agree that that's that uh, the that that's the book we're most looking forward to reading, let alone reviewing, is that book. Which I mean, again, this is not an insult. This is just stating it as it is. That bo- as as well, that book should be. It has all the agree, other than Simon and Jessica, who really have no long-standing uh, role or place in Green Lantern mythos up to up to this point. All the Green Lantern mythos is in the Hal Jordan in the core book, so yeah, that, that is that's a that's a, a strong reason why that book should it would it would be horrible if that book was a lot less interesting and, and more unreadable than than, uh, than Green Lanterns. I do th- I agree. I think we I think we both agree that for the most part, Robert Venditti has has a good feel for most of the main f- the, the four corpsmen. Uh, he doesn't really. Uh, he doesn't get Kyle yet. I don't think he really gets the Kyle thing at the moment. I think of the of the one he gets the least is Kyle. He has Guy down pretty good. I think he does a good job with John. He certainly shows he this version of Hal on this title is much better than the version of Hal we got when he took over the Green uh, Green Lantern. So I agree with pretty much what he's saying. I think you know, I would say the one thing we're only consistent on is that we think a lot of the interesting story concepts usually don't pay off. And then occasionally, right. and occasionally you have a relative dud like, like the new god thing, which I don't think we cared much about even conceptually for the most part. But the, the last arc that we got with them, with the, with the golems and everything. Uh, other than that, I think I would agree with what he says. I, that's the book I have the most hope for. It's the book I look I look forward to the storylines more. So yeah, I, I I agree. I think I certainly think he's doing a better. He's doing a much better job now than he did. On green, at any point during his Green Lantern run, and I think he probably has gotten better overall. I think he's gotten better even on this title. So, yeah, I, so I think that I think that comment, those, I think Jack's comments are pretty much dead on. And as far as bringing people, yeah, I mean, we, I think bringing people on is stuff we'd like to do. Uh, I think it's kind of, I mean, from, from my perspective, I think it's harder just to bring somebody on for like a one or two issue review unless unless we know they already have passionate feelings about it. Unless like somebody, like we, like if it, let's say it was a Hal in the core book and it has Sinestro in it, then it's really not going to be much of a hard sell to get Corwin interested to come on, <laughs> you know? So unless it's something that you automatically know someone's interested in and it might not be as easy 
to get at least some of the the the, the regulars. Yes, getting somebody new. I'm sure some new people who haven't been on, which we, we will absolutely entertain that idea. I think that's more likely to get people to chomp at the bit. But just even if it's not you know the ultimate material, the best material, uh, or the issue, even the issue they would prefer to do maybe, or the issues they would prefer to cover, given the choice. But they would still be ha- you know happy to do it. So yeah, well I think we're gonna con- we're gonna we're going to consider all of that. So I, I think all of that's on the table. For sure. All right. Uh, if people want to contact us, how do they do that? Lanterncast at gmail.com. The website is lanterncast.com. Uh, Twitter and Facebook. We are on both. Use hashtag GLCast to locate us there. iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, listen to us on one or both of those platforms. And please leave us a positive review on whichever one or ones you listen to us on. And last but not least, 708 Lantern. 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think, because voicemails always make us smile. <laughs> and we, we're not going to outright promise it's going to be next episode, but it will be pretty soon. So if you've already got your hands on Green Lantern Earth 1, uh, be sure to leave your comments for us on what you thought of the, the, of the book when you uh, get through reading it. Because we will be having our thoughts on air pretty darn soon. Yes, and uh, barring any unforeseen complications, which could happen, that it very likely will be the last, the next episode. It just, it's just a matter of whether I ordered, like obviously I wasn't the only one. I mean, I ordered mine from Amazon, and despite the fact that Amazon really does tend to list their street dates for some of these graphic novels and things a week after the actual release date, but. Despite that, they're going to honor their their own magical ma- word of the episode, magical, their own magical release date, which is until next week, which means I'm not supposed to get my copy until Tuesday. So, so without any weather complications, which is like an, an every week thing these days for for, for us here, uh, I should have my copy by Tuesday. Even if I don't get it till Wednesday, that still should be enough for us to be able to to do an episode next week on it. So that is that is the current game plan for next week. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.